Hey guys, this is Jack, uh, recording a little bit of a disclaimer before this episode. When Zach and I originally recorded this episode, uh, we were a little bit tired and kind of messed up the combinatorics work uh, we did on the flop decision. We were talking about the main villain's range, and we said at the time of the recording that villain had 12 combinations of two pairs. When editing the podcast, I realized that this was very wrong and changed it to five combinations of two pair. I didn't take into account that I had a a blocker, meaning that there were actually only four combos of two pairs possible. So when you're listening to our analysis, uh, keep that in mind. I think our analysis and the decisions we came to are still correct, but it's it's closer than it seemed. And I'll discuss some scenarios after the podcast where the decision might have come out differently. All right, here's the hand. Hey, Zach, what's going on, man? Much, just made some tea. I'm enjoying it alongside with you, actually, and it's quite delicious. Good job. Thank you. Lemongrass and sage, can't go wrong. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about a hand from last week in Maryland. And it's kind of an interesting spot because I felt like I knew all I knew enough about all the players that I was playing with to make good reads, but I still felt a little bit lost in the hand, so I'd like to discuss it and get some clarity. Yeah, sounds like a good hand uh, to discuss. Okay, Uh, so I'll introduce the villains as they show up in the hand. So we're playing 2-5, we're 10-handed, I am under the gun plus 1, and effective stacks, I'm the shortest between all the villains, is 600. Okay. So under the gun is sort of a, probably 35-year-old, kind of a country fellow, he talks about things like the high hand and bad beats and stuff, which I sort of associate with players who are not very good, but I haven't really seen him do anything totally out of line. Uh, One thing I have seen him do, which becomes relevant to this hand, is I've seen him donk out twice with draws. In multi-way pots? At least one was a heads-up pot, and I think the other was a multi-way pot. Most... Uh, hands at the table were going multi-way. Yep. So I assume the one I didn't note was multi-way. So under the gun player limps. Uh, I have ace-king offsuit. I opened a 20, uh, thinking I don't want to make the pot too big, uh, being in such early position. You know, however, I think that I prefer an open to 25, just because so many pots were going multi-way. And I'd like to limit the size player pool going into the flop. Well, why do you want to limit the size of the player pool with a hand near the top of your your range? Uh, Just because of my position. I I don't want to be playing against, you know, a five-way pot where I have three people who are behind me. I don't think it's a terrible spot, but I think I'll still get, on average, at least two callers. I think that under the gun player will call, and I think I'll probably on average get at least one other caller so I just think that in terms of like the mindset that like you don't want too many people like you'd you'd want people to make like pre-flop errors massive pre-flop errors by like calling 9-7 suited so like you know it's makes it more difficult to play the hand when you're in a like a five-way pot versus a heads-up pot but from like an EV perspective, you want all of those like hands calling and making those errors, even if they're in position. I guess that's true. 
So when it comes to the sizing pre-flop, I definitely agree that probably at a table like this, I'm going to be making it between 25 and 35 there, depending on you know my table image and what the standard race size I've been doing has been. But the what I'm thinking in terms of the sizing is like, how much can I get away raising to like keep these players calling ranges relatively the same? Like I don't want to make it 40 and get someone to fold those hands. I wanna, you know, I want I want them whoever's going to call with those hands to call and for as big of a price as they will. Mm-hmm. You're definitely right. I, I'm just, I guess, of a mindset that is sort of not grounded in any sort of theory that it's better to play heads-up three-way pots than uh, four-way and larger just because it's simpler and uh, I've spent more time studying those types of pots. Yeah, all other things equal, of course. You're also going to, your skill edge will be magnified in a heads-up pot versus a three-way pot versus a four-way pot. But this isn't a thing where all things are equal, you know. It's a thing where you're getting people with really weak ranges to enter the pot. So even if it goes, like, kind of like a, uh, an example of this, like, let's say you had aces there. Like, and if you made it 50 with aces and everyone called, that's a good outcome, you know. Because you're mm-hmm. ahead. You're still not going to win the pot most of the time, but you want people making those, those you know, incorrect calls. Right. Yeah, it's definitely... That's sort of a dilemma I face. I, I know intuitively... Or not intuitively. Uh, I understand that that's a desirable outcome, but there is always, I think, a desire to win the pot that you have to sort of abandon. And I think in my thoughts, I... Or my thought process wasn't considering that emotion uh, and accounting for it in the decision-making. And by accounting for it, I mean basically ignoring it. I think we both agree that 25 would be better, but I think it's probably just better because uh, for pure value reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I would make it 25 in that spot at the minimum. My standard opening size when I was in Maryland Live uh, on that trip with you, you know, playing the same two five games, uh, was 25. And that was because that seemed to be the magic number for me where I would get people to, you know, call with their entire kind of weak pre-flop range, regardless of position. If I were to start just, you know, randomly opening it to 30, some of these people would begrudgingly hold, you know, full hands like their 10-8 suiteds. Uh, where 25 seemed to be the, the sweet spot. So with a limper there, I probably would have made it 30, but of course, you know, those uh, differences by $5 are very much dependent on kind of being there and understanding the, the table dynamics at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, anyways, at this point it folds around the button, who is an older man who... I have seen play maybe only two hands in probably the hour and a half we've been playing. And he hasn't gotten to showdown with either of them. As I recall, I actually don't think he won either of the pots. He calls. The small blind is a guy, middle-aged guy, who's been seeing a ton of pots, wearing a scarf for what it's worth. He calls, uh, and then big blind folds, and UTG calls. Yeah, I think it's really important to know that the scarf probably makes his range a little bit wider in that spot. I agree. That is precisely (laughs) what I was thinking. Anyways, flop comes ace-5-3, ace-5 of spades, and under-the-gun player leads out for 25 into 
85. So as I had mentioned, I'm definitely perceiving this to be a draw, and I'm guessing it's a flush draw, uh, just because I don't think this guy is probably... He, he could be limping uh, a hand like 6-7, but I think it's more likely that he has spades. Um, be more comfortable leading out with a stronger draw. Right. Yeah. So given that read, I think I clearly have to raise here mm-hmm. with a, you know, a very strong hand. So I make it 75. I think I probably should have made it a little bit bigger. I think I was sizing more with his bet in mind than on the actual size of the pot. Yeah. So I think I'd prefer 100. So before I kind of weigh on the exact sizing I think I might do in that spot... When you've seen him lead out with draws twice before, and I guess they both got to showdown in those hands you were mentioning, uh, did he get raised on the flop either of those times when he let out? I can't remember, honestly. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a lot of players that will lead out with kind of uh, either just draws or a combination of, like, draws and maybe, like, kind of vulnerable made hands, like, you know, some combos of their aces, uh, where they're calling 75 100% of the time and they're folding to around 100 a pretty high percentage of the time. So even though you want to charge the draws, you also, you know, you want those draws to call. Mm. Uh, so I think, yeah, probably as a default, I would, like, with just the information you've given me so far, I'd probably make it 85. Honestly, I think 100, like, unless he's holding, like, a king high or queen high flush draw, I think a player like that might, like, fold a 10 high flush draw that he, that he would lead out with. Uh, so again, it's really just like a, what, how much you think you can get away with, but still making sure you call it similar to the pre-flop stuff we discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would agree, though, that we definitely want to be betting enough so that he doesn't have the odds to call. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you'd rather, if, if he's only going to call like a min-raise, then you'd just rather him fold. Right. Just going to find that uh, really for the listeners. Yeah. Okay. So, I think given what we both said, I, I still like what I think is a good sizing of 100 more than my 75. Yeah, I haven't done the math, but let's think. So, for him to call 50 into 180, yeah, he's definitely getting the right odds to call with the 75. Well, he's not getting the correct direct odds, but assuming you'll pay him off a little bit, he's getting the implied odds. I think he might be getting the direct odds, but let's... Let's agree that we're giving him a very favorable odds. I think 100, yeah. maybe even 120 uh, is better. 120 might be a little high, but I think 100 is probably around the sweet spot. Yeah, it it just you know depends on the player type. For some reason, the way you describe this player, like has let out withdrawals before and is leading out so weak, it reminds me of a type of player. Uh, that will often fold to a bet of around like 100, 120 in my experience. But again, I, I was I wasn't there. That's just the reason that I'm kind of mm-hmm. kind of strongly holding on to a little over 100. I think like once you approach above 100, like psychologically, it's like okay, now this is a big bet type thing. Where before it's like okay, I'm playing a draw and just trying to hit. Where I think once you kind of go above 100 for a lot of players, it you know changes their mindset. I agree, but I think at these stakes. It's not as taboo as it one two or even one three. A hundred dollar bet is a lot rarer. Okay, 
So I met 75, and the villain on the button, he's, he looks very surprised and worried, and he raises to 175. So let's take a second to think about this guy's range. I don't think he has aces, because I think it's likely that he'll three bet on the button, and he doesn't seem to be Hollywooding. He's not, he didn't say anything or like do anything that looks, to try and look nervous, or that I would think would be something to try and look nervous. He looks genuinely unnerved. Uh, a big question, I think, is whether he can ever have ace-king here. I think he can. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. I think players who play tight pre-flop, who are not, like, you know, I think especially good players, and I, I have no reason to think he's an especially good player, I think they have a tendency to expect to win the pot a lot when they enter. Which would make make me think he would raise a hand like ace king and maybe even ace queen. I think ace queen is less likely, but I think he would maybe raise a hand like ace king here, thinking that since he plays tight, he must have the best hand, and we're probably drawing, and he should raise. Also, I think your sizing comes into play here. You know, like yeah. you made it twenty five, now you made it just seventy five, which is like smaller than the pot. So I think that would like further incentivize a hand like. Ace Queen to maybe even raise here. Again, I think it's mm -hmm. more likely he'd cold call with Ace Queen, but yeah, I think he's definitely raising with some combos of Ace Queen and Ace King he got to the flop with it. This could be a guy who's, you know, almost never three betting Ace King or Ace Queen even on the button, you know? Yeah. So he could have all of those combos off suit and uh, suited. I agree. I'm not thinking this is a guy who's that likely to raise Ace King or Ace Queen on the button. I think he is likely to call. Fives on the button, probably threes on the button, but I feel like he wouldn't look so nervous. And I, I, I definitely don't want to read too much into that. I'm definitely keeping those hands in his range. Yeah. But that's part of what made it feel strange to me. Do you think he's ever semi-bluffing here? I don't think so. It, I would definitely, if the ace weren't a spade, I would be putting a lot of I would definitely be putting, you know, ace-king of spades, ace-queen of spades, ace-jack, maybe even ace-ten of spades, mm -hmm. or just really a lot of suited aces of spades in this range here, but the aces of spades, so those are not possible. A hand like king-queen of spades could be possible, but it seems unlikely to me because I don't think this type of player is going to three-bet semi-bluff yeah. that often, and I also think that under the gun player has a lot of spades in his range, um, making it less likely that this player also has, you know, a nut type spade hand. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, in terms of combos, forgetting the physical read for a moment, it would seem like he's, although it's hard to flop a set, it would seem this is just consistent with almost only a set. So doing the combinatorics, there's six possible sets here, you know. Three combos of pocket threes and three combos of pocket fives. And if we're giving him all the offsuit ace king combos, then he also has uh, six combos of that. And then if we give him ace queen or even half of ace queen, that's six to eight combos. Now, the other type of hand, other than semi bluffs, that I guess we could consider would be like suited ace five, suited ace three. Hmm. Yeah. And to be honest, those hands didn't come into my mind a lot when I was making my decision, but I wanted to I want to know if you think they're possible. 
Definitely. Yeah. Especially like being on the button and a caller beforehand. I agree. I, I, I think there's some players who would play like this and not call an ace three suited on the button, mm-hmm. but I think it's probably a good assumption to assume that just most poker players in general call one raise with those types of hands on the button. Yeah, especially like, you know, it gets them on the button, they're kind of closing the action. You had the limper that limp five and, you know, you've noticed their limp calling. Maybe even if not, he, if this guy isn't actively noticing it, he kind of knows that it's going to be at least three ways. So like he's closing the actions in position and uh, it's going to be a multi-way pop with suited today. So he might not be thinking through all of that in like those clear of terms, but I think he kind of knows that like, this is a better spot or one of the best spots to play a suited ace preflop. Yeah. So yeah, I think in, with absence of strong evidence, we should give him all the combos of, you know, ace five suited, ace three suited. Yeah, I, I agree. So that would be five two pairs. So in total, if we give him ace queen, then he's, and let's let's give him ace queen and one semi bluff. Okay. So king queen of spades. Yeah, king queen of spades. So he has six sets, five two pairs, and fourteen one pairs and one semi club. So I think this shows that even if we're giving him a ton of ace king and ace queen, which we really are, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think a player like this is raising ace king more than you know forty fifty percent of the time, and maybe ace queen ten twenty percent of the time, and we're giving him all the ace king combos and half the ace queen combos. And then doing the math, it's still a fold there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think. Well, let's. I'll continue with the action for now, and then we can talk about that decision when it gets to it. Small blind folds. Under the gun calls. Oh. And I'm also considering the fact that this guy looks nervous to be evidence against a set. Yeah. So it's like. Maybe not. We, we were just doing the combo work there, which I think even with the under-the-gun player calling makes this a fold. But then we have to, of course, fly poker factor in the physical read. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we if we take away some set combos, um, then yeah, it could, it could be a call. Also, I think the nervousness, I think that's also pretty consistent with two-pair here. You know, if me or you had two-pair here, we'd probably... You know, play a similar way and not be nervous and be pretty confident in our hand. Yeah. Um, but I think a tight player like this can be like, oh, it's only two pair, and you know, be scared of monster under the bed when you have interfaces or a set or something. Yeah. Um, so this is this is a close spot. Uh, first off, I, I'm never never raising in this. Yeah, spot. You can't definitely can't raise. I think the the kind of silver lining is this player is, I think. I mean, on a spade turn, I think under the gun player is likely to, you know, be ahead then, and then you could easily fold. And then I think really on a blank turn, if check two, I think he's really unlikely to bet, you know, any hands that are like the same or worse than yours. I don't think he's going to be betting his king there, even if he should, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, so you're, you are getting a pretty good price on a call, and this guy's likely to play pretty face up, even though he has position on you. But I still, I'm still not sure if it's necessarily a call. Uh, but I think those factors definitely lean it closer to a call. I, I know what you're saying, but I'm definitely leaning towards a fold because I think I was pretty focused on the button player's range 
and considering my pot odds versus his range in that moment. And if if I'm thinking of it in those terms, I, I can see it more as a call. But the thing I am thinking about now is that for me to win this hand, it really has to check through on the turn. Yeah. Uh, I guess if it's a blank and under the gun player ships, then I, it's a really weird spot. But I guess I could see a situation where I I can win the pot that way. Yeah. But I think that if he checks, I have, I'm definitely checking, and if the button player makes any kind of reasonable bet, I'm folding the turn. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is that we have to really get to the river for me to have a chance to win the pot. Mm-hmm. And getting to the river freely gives Unwigan player the full chance to realize yeah. his flush. And so I think for that reason that it's a fold. Yeah, I think it's a fold too. Also, even though we were you know, a little generous in giving him uh, when we were doing the combo tour for all the ace-king combos and like half the ace-queen combos, even when we kind of acknowledge he probably has less, like, now that I'm thinking through the hand more, I was thinking more about the 175 bet and then how many kind of combos of aces, like, you know, pair of aces are we giving him, but it's also the fact that he's three-bed in the flop in a four-way pot, and I think I didn't necessarily give enough weight to that, and I think, I think it's definitely close on the flop, just because of the price he's giving you and the fact that he's going to play face-up, but I, I like your analysis, and I think it's it's a fold, despite those things on the flop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, it is sort of a weird spot because it's a three-bet, but it's, you know, the first bet was so small that it's not... And my bet was fairly small, so it's not quite a... It's not a fully fleshed-out three-bet. Yeah, like, if you were on the button... And you were raising on the flop for whatever reason against like a healthy C bet, just a two bet, you'd probably make it around that size. Yeah, right. If not greater. <laughs> so anyway, I called. <laughs> uh, the turn comes an offsuit seven, mm-hmm. and it checks through. I think we've agreed that there's no reason for me to bet. Yeah. The river comes an offsuit eight. And it checks to me. I check. And the button player bets 140. Under the gun folds. Yeah. This is a really tough spot. I honestly... I'm probably leaning towards a fold here, given what we've said. I think this line is incredibly consistent with all of his two-pair combos. And, you know, tight player is like the one... Like, the button here and the way you described him, like, I feel like they're just rarely value betting even ace-king there, you know? And I think when you're calling this bet, you're really just hoping to chop with Mm -hmm. ace-king. I think ace-queen's always checking back, and I think ace-king is almost always checking back in this spot. Like, if, you know, when you play live poker uh, at the low stakes, like, you see people check back absurd hands on the river, you know? And I think, honestly, checking back ace-king in this spot... His, his end wouldn't even be that crazy if I was in his spot, if I happened to have ace-king. So I think I think this is probably a fold, which, you know, adds more evidence to folding this on the flop. For one, I, I'll just say I, I agree it's a fold. But I will say, if this I think if this is a player who will three-bet ace-king on the flop, that it's reasonable to think that he would bet ace-king on the river. Uh, true, true, yeah. And I also, I think 
it's very unlikely he has a set at this point. That's if the evidence towards a call. I did call, and I, I think the main reason I called was because I wasn't adequately considering two pair hands. Uh, I don't think I was taking his position enough into account in determining his range, uh, so I didn't consider suited, you know, ace five and ace three. If I had, I would think I would have thought it was a lot closer. But I do think that at this point, his range, you know, some depending on what kind of player he truly is, sometimes is his ace king and his two pair hands, and very very rarely a set. And then sometimes if he's not a player who would three bet ace king or value bet ace king, it's exclusively two pair. And I think because of the chance of the latter and the fact that I'm only calling for a chop in the former, that it's a fold. But at that moment, I was not considering two pairs as strongly, so I called, and he had two pair, ace five of diamonds. Yeah, and that seems, you know, pretty consistent with the whole analysis, like, you know, the fact that he's almost never bluffing on the flop, but still look worried, and then you have the check through and the small value out on the river. And, yeah, I think this is a really good hand to discuss because it shows how you know, good hand analysis and really understanding someone's range really starts pre-flop. And missing like one thing like that by saying like, okay, this is a really tight player who's rarely playing uh, ASEC suited, then kind of spirals post-flop and then, you know, leads to right. larger mistakes there. Uh, you know, not necessarily recognizing the, the specific uniqueness of this pre-flop situation that would lend itself towards playing those hands that he likely would not normally be playing even for a single raise. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, yeah, I think that's a wrap. I should have folded on the flop. Uh, probably should have folded the river. But you live and learn. And it only cost me $240 for this particular lesson. So I'll take it. All right. Uh, so to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in again this week. We really encourage you to send in hands. Uh, we will write you back. Uh, whether or not we put it on the show. But we will probably put it on the show. So far, we've only had one hand that's been sent in. Uh, but if we get a few more, I think Jack and I agree, it's highly likely we'll feature that hand. And, you know, we're, we're looking to have more hands from listeners on the show, you know, more guests. Uh, you, the listeners, have been responding positively to that, whether on, you know, private messages on social media or just the uh, increased amount of listens. Uh, we're happy to say that uh, when releasing episode 9 uh, this past Tuesday, we have broken 500 listens, kind of is exceeding our wildest hopes and dreams. Uh, we're barely 10 episodes in on this kind of pet project we just decided to start doing in uh, December, and now, you know, here we are having, uh, you know, not necessarily 500 people, but maybe around 100 people choose to listen to at least a few episodes of this podcast, so we, we thank you for reaching that milestone, and Look forward to sharing the, the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you guys again. And, you know, while we're enthusiastic to reach that number, don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you like it. Uh, and we, we really would like to have an, a more active discussion about the hands uh, on our website, justhandspoker.com. We think we do a good job of analysis, but, us, but there's no way we haven't missed anything. And if you're catching us making any you know, fishing mistakes, you know, please let us know. Uh, yeah, email us, comment on the, the podcast uh, blog post, you know, just 
we're, we're happy to hear you tweet us on Twitter, comment on our Facebook statuses, you know. There's a lot of ways to reach us, so. All right, well, thank you guys so much again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Okay, so now you've heard the hand. Uh, so I decided to come up with a little toy model just to see what the decision would be if we made some assumptions. So back on the flop, uh, we're facing a bet of 175. Uh, we've put in 75. The small blind calls, so we're getting 5 to 1. So we need 18% equity. Now, if we make the assumption that the small blind is always holding the nut flush draw and the big blind is always holding all two pairs and all ace-king and nothing else in this spot, then if we know the turn in the river will check through, then we have 22.4% equity, uh, meaning it would be a call if all those assumptions held true. However, if we think that villain is going to bet half pot on the river with all two pair and two of the six ace-king combos, then it becomes a fold because uh, one-third of the ace-king combos you know, gets bet and we can't call because... Uh, we can't call a half-pot bet with a range of four two-pairs and two hands that we draw with. Okay, so I still like the fold on the flop because, one, I don't think we can necessarily assume that uh, the big the button never has any sets here. You know, people can look nervous with sets. And so for that reason, I think it's still a fold. But it's definitely a very close decision. All right, uh, we'll see you again next week, and thanks for sticking around. All right, take care.